Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Ward, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Ward while those return to the world of parahumans. I am Matt Freeman and this is my miserable, deluded little co-host, Scott Daly. Wow. What? It's a term of endearment like you would use with a sibling. Now start the fucking podcast or I will break you. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbo's world of justification fuck buddies and alien based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial this week on the show we continue arc 17 sundown with chapters 17.5 and 17.6 victoria has a nice pleasant chat with amy as she prepares to invade gimel with the giant shard monsters to save it or something it probably makes sense if you're amy Vicky manages to take to talk Amy down into a compromise, but in the process loses her cool in front of everyone. After an extensive evaluation by a highly not paid intern and the reveal that the world's greatest therapist does indeed strangle children, Victoria is benched. In this case, benched is both literal and somehow also a euphemism for going to Bangtown. Matt, what do you think of these two chapters? Um, very harrowing stuff, right? Like, like we're, we're with this arc, we're def, we're definitely continuing to go in a certain direction with Victoria. Mm-hmm. Um, it's 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 painful to see her in this state, right? Um, but as as you said, she gets to go to Bangtown, so that's nice. It's nice, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There, I, I think w- what we kind of have been talking about this entire arc about her kind of slowly being pulled away from everyone and the the only place she has to turn is becoming increasingly more only her shard um that's what we've been doing and we continue to do this big time throughout this um this these couple chapters for sure yeah and of course i have to comment scott you don't you don't think i'm right here but what what happens after the sun (laughs) goes down what happens after the sun goes down you know people get busy we've got literally a hundred percent more sexual activity in this arc than we have seen in previous arcs yeah i mean i don't think you're wrong i uh. i just don't know if like as wild bow is like huh what should we call the arc well victoria is gonna fuck so let's call it sundown well okay but also we've got the buyer okay so setting aside <laughs> the sundown connection this is the this is the nudity chapter or arc rather so it's just it's just interesting to me i mean i wonder if there's going to be more along these lines throughout this arc. I this is, you know, the end. certainly hope so. I mean, and I'm not including the giant naked nursery monsters in that, although maybe I should, maybe I should, maybe you should, maybe yeah. you should. They did, you know, we did skip over la- that last week. The fact that they had er- erections that if you prick them with a needle, it looked like they'd cut someone in half. That's, that's an image that, that we, missed out on talking about on the podcast yeah we definitely have the opportunity it's definitely an accident that that we didn't talk about that yeah yeah so you thought you you thought you were going to get out of (laughs) having to hear about that again but i went back and salvaged it all right hooray so 
All right, so some quick announcements uh, before we get into the episode. Actually, just one. Yeah. Uh, the, the Halloween costume contest is ongoing for roughly one more week, uh, and then it will be over, and then we will see who the winner is. But yeah, just send photo of you or somebody in a Parahumans-themed Halloween costume to gotwormpot at gmail.com and make it happen. Let's let's do it. I want to see. Yeah, that is due uh, the day after Halloween, as it is a Halloween contest. So make sure you get those in. And the full rules and prizes and all that nonsense is linked in the show notes to this episode. So click on that link if you want to know more. All right. Now let's get on into 17.5. Let's do it. I can't wait. So as we talked about for, for a minute there, so far this arc has been hammering on a few specific ideas. Victoria's sense of connection with her family and friends has been undermined from multiple angles. Her sense of confidence in herself and her very sense of identity have been shaken. And this is all played out both through the plot as her team is effectively robbed from her and through the conceit of powers as her brain is put through a shard blender and then poured back into her head. <laughs> and here these chapters continue and elaborate on these ideas and others. Yeah, and as we talked about last week, and I'm sure I'm going to talk about again, this all feels very climactic to me. And not in the sense that, like, um, like I think the ending is coming, like, now, right? Um, but I do think that we're getting to a point where things are starting, definitely starting to come together. Right. We have like everything, everything you're talking about there, the, the sense of identity, this is a control. Um, all Victoria's wants and all her needs are, are lining up. And also we have Amy in, in really the most directly antagonistic role she's been in, in the entire story so far is where she is literally standing between Victoria and, and her goals. Um, and so that feels like we're getting towards, the the third act of our our overall story yeah i mean i might even go so far as to say that some of the like very small decisions in this chapter feel significant or these chapters like like physically getting amy to sort of come out of whatever you know bunker she's been in and and be more or less on the front lines that feels important to me um yeah we'll see if it is but I just it felt that way. Yeah, she's on the field like yeah. she's on the chessboard now. Yeah. yeah, right. She's not never been in that position, but rarely in the story has she has she been active and actively using her power in the sort of ongoing situation. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so Victoria joins in on the conference call with Amy and her entourage, including some Sheen representatives, Louis among them. Uh, throughout these chapters, there's this motif of Victoria's italicized thoughts intruding more than usual, I think. Not that Vicky doesn't regularly color our perceptions with her thoughts, but I think there's a higher than usual frequency of not just her thoughts, but of, of the italics uh, in particular. It gives this, it gives the text this specific sense of like a volleying, like constant running commentary, beat reaction, beat reaction, beat reaction, just constantly. Yeah, I I, I agree, and and we've talked about this before. How you know this this entire book is Victoria's thoughts, right? It's a first person perspective story but there is a distinct difference between the narration of victoria's thoughts and these specific italicized thoughts where it's almost specifically her mind verbalizing stuff in her head um and you're right we see a lot of these here and and i love that the idea that it it it, it sets up this rhythm that that sense of volleying you're right um and, and i think 
you know, we see I think this is the place where we can maybe most see like you talked about early in the, the arc. If these reaction beats were possibly not were possibly were being tricked a little bit, maybe. And it's not even Victoria's point of view. And maybe we're seeing things from in those italicized beats from Waste's point of view. I don't think it's quite that, but I think we do see Waste come through in, in some of those italicized moments, maybe more than in other areas. Um, and, and I think that beat reaction thing you pointed out really does help this chapter specifically with its sense of tension, right? Because it's like we're slowly things are boiling over. And, and while, you know, externally there's really no buildup in Victoria's head in these moments where, where she's having these reactions to each, every one of the things uh, Amy says, it creates the sense of uh, escalation, the sense of building of tension until it boils over. And the moment that it boils over is the moment which this internal italicized thought becomes an external dialogued thought. Um, and that I think it's a really neat path from her saying everything to herself to suddenly she can't hold it in anymore. And she says it out loud. I like that a lot. I like how you explain that, right? We're, we're made aware of the level of anger that's within her um, without the text having to say, Victoria was very angry. <laughs> it, it, it's Yeah, it, it's a good mechanism. And, yeah. and and it's something that you're exactly right. It works there. But then she continues to have, I think, I didn't count necessarily, but I think a higher frequency of italicized interjections and just overall um, a lot more kind of angry internal criticism that's happening yeah i think uh it is definitely anecdotal but in my perception we are seeing more of that in this arc and these chapters specifically than we have in uh possibly the whole book yeah uh, again i i don't even know how i would go about counting such a thing but but i'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that that's the case sure kai can stun it or something <laughs> right yeah. <laughs> yeah let's get on that uh so yeah amy is apparently named uh the chevalier avatar the uh, Jibberim Knight. Man, I didn't look it up beforehand. I was going to. I mean, it's definitely Hebrew, so it's probably not pronounced that way, but you know, whatever. Jibberim, something like that. Sure. Gibberim, and says he fundamentally wants what Chevalier wants. Um, and this is painted as good by Amy, setting aside <laughs> that they also have a goddess and Mather's creation who, if logic follows, would presumably want what their hosts want. I love that you pulled that out because I hadn't quite made that connection, but you're absolutely right that like using this as a defense for why it's okay to be sending this knight here. It's like, Oh, it's exactly like Chevalier is basically countering the use of goddess Miss Mathers and, and, and nursery, right? Like it is, she is basically contradicting herself directly there. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> ridiculous. And it's part of this double speak of this chapter that I, I actually find really delightful from just like a writing perspective. Amy is, like from an external point of view to people who don't know her, Amy is very good at having an excuse and a reason for everything and, and building a case around why this is fine. Um, people that hang out with her or, or have seen through all this, like Victoria and now us, the audience, uh, see right through that and, and see it as, as bullshit. But a lot of the other people don't. And, and, and the thing I love about this chapter is this chapter could only exist and only work after those Amy interludes, right? Um, this was written with the knowledge that we have seen Amy and seen inside Amy's head and, and wild Bo is using that, that we have that knowledge. And so she's, she's, so she's 
giving us this double speak, right? Where we, it's just like, if you think about, if you just pause and think about it for a minute and you know how Amy's thought process works, you're like, Hey, wait a minute. That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was fascinating how Crystal says, um, she didn't used to be this bad at a certain point and which is basically calling direct attention to the circularity and, and bullshittiness of her thought process. Yeah. And Victoria being like, yeah, she absolutely did. Nobody else noticed it though. Yeah. yeah. The stakes are just higher now is I think what she says. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I think that's really important for a lot of what I think this chapter is very cleverly doing in the background, which is kind of showing how from an external point of view, a lot of what's happening is not a good look for our protagonist because yeah. they are lacking so much of the context that Victoria and us, the reader has. Right. I mean, so I think last week we talked about the fact that like this book put, put us in this place of really being in the head of someone who has been abused, who absolutely knows that this abusive person is exactly as bad as, as they are. And yet the situation around them is such that everybody else is skeptical. Mm -hmm. And that, that was true last week. That's true yet again this week. In fact, if anything, we're emphasizing more that latter part of the statement where uh, everybody in this room is, is kind of like baffled and confused. And Victoria has to be the one to almost painfully drag them to the point of being like, look, like you're not going to be able to to deal with her as a rational person. And, and then, <laughs> yeah. and, and them almost reacting like, well, you would say that because of your history, you know, it's, um, it's frustrating for our character. It's frustrating for us. Uh, and, and it's just a, a great, it's just a great kind of magic trick that Wildbo is, is playing to, to put us in this position of this character. Yeah. I, I, I love it. I love it a lot. It's very, it's very complicated it's nuanced there's a lot of subtextual stuff going on here that i really enjoy because like on yeah. the surface the first time i read this you're just like this is infuriating this is absolutely infuriating reading this chapter got me angry <laughs> it got me really angry i was just like like turning over tables in in my <laughs> anger at amy but if you really try to zoom into this and 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 try i think reading it where you're trying to read it from the perspective of someone who does not is not aware of the full extent of the history between these two characters and um the, all they know about amy is some stuff that happened before gold morning but then all the hero work she's been doing quote unquote hero work she's been doing up until now it reads very differently yeah um absolutely yeah and that's fascinating. It's fascinating that it can work on those those different levels. Um, totally. Before we move on, I just wanted to point out we haven't done like a name game in a while. In fact, like I think it's been months. <laughs> we just kind of accidentally removed that section. But uh, the Jibborim and again, apologies for not knowing Hebrew. Um, it is it, it is a Hebrew word that roughly means like mighty, mightiest, or sometimes hero, um, which fits perfectly with Chevalier, right? Uh, that's but. Also, we've compared these guys to Endbringers multiple times and using like a Hebrew name for these things slots very nicely into that comparison, right? Like with yeah. Leviathan and Behemoth. Um, okay, Seamurg is Persian, not Hebrew, but shut up, it works. Um, yeah, well, I mean, here in these chapters, we actually have LaRue referred to her as Z's. So yeah, that's true. Yeah. It almost, it almost seems like different groups of people use different names. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. fun to think about. Uh, do we know like who named them originally? Like who was the person that gave them their names? 
don't know if we know that. No, no, I don't, I don't think so. Hmm. I don't know that anyway. Um, so yeah, after the first exchange, the Sheenians go mute and they have a quick powwow and Narwhal scolds Victoria for her snark. Victoria tries to clarify that what she's doing is a tactic and that she expects that managing Amy is inseparable from managing the situation at large. Yeah, and I think this is kind of back to what you were talking about when people are just like, they don't get it and they don't get it to the point where Victoria's, I love it because basically Victoria says, oh, did you brainwash them? And Amy's like, no, of course I didn't. I don't brainwash people, Victoria, which is hilarious. Um, But Victoria immediately is like, you're right. Of course you're right. Um, And Narwhal interprets this as snark, but it's not. It's not snark. She's actually just playing the exact game she needs to play here. Yeah. And I love what she says here is like Amy wants to hear that she's right more than she cares about the accusation. Right. I love that idea. I love that idea. It's like it doesn't you can say the meanest thing in the world to her. But as long as at the end of that statement, you tell her she's right. She doesn't care anymore. Right. It's this whole psychology that she's she's built up of just like anything that supports me is good. And I can just kind of disregard anything that doesn't. Yeah. Um, And Victoria's using this against her in a very clever way. Yeah. Um, So, you know, we then continue as the scene goes on to see that Victoria is indeed right. Mm -hmm. Narwhal tries to engage Amy using logic and fails utterly. (laughs) She's immune. She's immune to logic. It's part of her powers. Uh, I do. I do. I do really like that. I think there is, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week because Victoria specifically mentioned it. But I think there is some level at which Victoria enjoys this a little bit, enjoys seeing Narwhal be like, well, what the fuck is wrong with this person? Like, why? Why? Why is she not? This is ridiculous. Like, I think there's there's a point where she's just like, Amy, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you can imagine Victoria in the background being like, see, I fucking yeah. told you um, there. None of that's in the text here, but I think it's a natural extension of what the what we saw last time is this 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 vindication. I think it's beautifully conveyed through the through the evolution of Narwhal's behavior as you can you can kind of see the wheels turning as she's like, what the fuck is she talking about? Yeah. And, and then like she'll try different things and, and then eventually she gives over control to Victoria. Like, like one thing I will say about the chapter is it's not just hitting you over the head with this idea of, oh, Victoria's like embarrassing herself in front of everyone by losing her cool. Narwhal is actually basically like, all right, Victoria gets her fine. Yeah. You know, yeah. Narwhal's not, not one of the people who's judging her, assuming that, you know, there are people in the room who, who are judging her. Well, yeah. And I mean, it goes back to, this very detailed description of this room that we got right where it, it there's a lot of people in the room they're in different areas they're different parts of the room some of them are people that she recognizes some of them are people that she doesn't um there's an inner circle that's dealing directly with the communication um and they seem to be in the know but there are other people that aren't um and victoria is very conscious of this the entire time and i think the next chapter dives into one of those people really specifically Definitely, yeah. Um, there's one thing I wanted to point out here before we move on is this line where I think Wild Bo like ominously sets up what's going to happen later in the chapter because Victoria is trying to tell people like the strategy for Amy and she's like she's a damaged individual with a lot of power and one thing she wants that isn't in line with what Shin and then she gets interrupted. Um, but we know enough to know exactly what she's about to say there, which is there the one thing that she wants that isn't in line with what Shin wants is me. 
And that is very much setting up to the uh, the decision that Victoria is going to make at the end of this chapter, where she basically becomes the bait to Amy to manipulate her. Um, and I, we'll talk about when we get there. I find that horrifying that Victoria has to do that and allows herself to do that. But um, this is this is a great way of kind of right. setting up that we're heading that direction. Horrifying, but entirely within character. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I yeah, right. I'm not I'm not critiquing it. I of just, course. I, I, I'm mad at Victoria for constantly hurting herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Uh, so um, Louis speaks, uh, speaks up to support something that Amy says that they're not interested in balance, but in fairness or specifically in what is just. And Victoria goes on to say or to think just was only a good word if the person leaning on them felt like they were making the concession. I want to see her die burning, but I have to grudgingly admit that it would be wrong and barbaric. Ten years in prison and a course toward rehabilitation is just. Justice. But if it came from the top, from a place of paramount power, from a place of satisfaction, then just changed from justice to justification. Justification for revenge. Justification for wrongs. And... I just love this. I'm just like exactly Victoria, my dude. Yes, totally. <laughs> yeah. um, th- this this might not be very intellectually profound of me, Matt, but I loved reading this. I-, I think so. I think of art and storytelling should be challenging, right? Like it should challenge your preconceived notions. It should challenge your view of the world by offering characters and settings and themes, etc., that uh, you haven't encountered before. But every once in a while. It's just nice to read a story and hear a character that you really respect basically uh, formulate your exact opinion on something and just be like, yeah, yeah, exactly. This is exactly how I feel. And the idea of justice and justification as a reflection of uh, the power dynamic between people is an interesting thing that I fully 100 percent agree with. So it's just really nice and satisfying on a very like very basic level to read this and be like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think justice is something we've talked about before in the show. And yeah. I just I just really like this articulation of it. personally. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's also an interesting angle on the parahuman versus human relationship. Right. This idea that uh, if you are the one in if you are the one that has the power, if you are the person leaning on the other people, it isn't justice. It's justification. Um, and I think that's interesting in the lens of who in this society has the power who has the ability to lean on who yeah sure sure i mean i don't know i mean it's a rabbit hole i could go down forever right because i mean there's because there's no objective justice right there's no cosmic justice there's it's all it it all comes down to perspectives and 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 yeah you're pointing out of course correctly that in this world the perihumans have this massive like advantage over over the normal humans and so this is not something Victoria is aware of in this in this context. Um, maybe maybe we'll come back to this later. Yeah, I mean, the reason I'm bringing this up is specifically because the the parahuman human power dynamic and relationship becomes very central to the next chapter. So yeah. I think it's just something that popped into my head rereading these chapters because it, it's such an important part of what the book is doing in that next chapter. Yeah. So um, there's this interesting moment in here where Mark is relaying some of the information, how there will be 15 of these creations soon. And it's very interesting to just imagine him waking up to what he's gotten himself into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love Victoria's thoughts here where it says he sounded a little awed by what he was saying. No doubt he had Amy beside him looking confident. 
Was it only now sinking in? What are you doing, Dad? What are you thinking? And I really think we need a Mark interlude very soon, right? I think we've been like hinting and 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 noting his behavior and speculating on what the hell is going on with this dude for a while now. And I really want to see what's in his head. Is he has he completely deluded himself? Is he fully aware of what's going on now, but he feels trapped? I want to know. I want to see in his head real bad. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely like we, we've seen these glimpses of him and he just seems to be in his own little fantasy world. Yeah. Like in terms of in terms of where Amy is specifically, in terms of where his family is, in terms of what the status quo is, like he's just kind of shuffling through things. And but but I, see, I don't know if that read is accurate because we've we've really it's a read that's pieced together from relatively small amount of, of text. So yeah. I agree. I love to find out more about how he's doing. Yeah. Carol is encouraged just to open a side chat with Mark because apparently family is regarded differently on Shin. Um, and they talk about the meeting with Sarah, which Amy can't help but needlessly comment on. <laughs> and then quickly shift back toward being a conversation about what she's up to. Narwhal confronts her about the horrific risk of what she's doing, and she responds with that old Dallin chestnut, I'm in control. Yeah, I like how you, I like how it, like, it, it fits so much with what Victoria was talking about her family, right? Like this idea of people are either in control or completely out of control in my family. That's the way it works. And here's another Dallin uh, professing control, but uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been Amy's particular struggle all the way back to the, you know, the, the relatively recent interlude, but Victoria has contextualized that as being a Dallin trait or a right. Dallin adjacent trait. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, of course, this is a moment where you immediately know that's bullshit. I mean, that's one thing. If it's one thing the inter- inter- Amy interludes did for us, it's see, th- it's allowed us to see through that statement without question, right? This idea that she's in control. Victoria always doubted it. The interludes confirmed that Victoria's doubt was completely justified. And now every time we get to see her say it, we get to immediately go, yeah, okay, sure. I mean, isn't that literally what she said when she reverted Victoria back to her original body and then probably made a mistake? Yeah. Was, yeah. I mean, yeah. Oh, see, yeah. I'm in control. Yeah. 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 Um, but I want to I want to kind of zoom back to that conversation about Sarah, because I, I think you're right that Amy basically hijacks that, that conversation. Mark and Carol are talking and Amy hijacks it and makes it about her saying, like, I wish I was there. I wish I could see her. I wish I could help with everything and then takes that and pivots back to what she wanted to talk about, which is everything else. And that sucks. It really does. It sucks. But I want to do that. I want to do that thing where we kind of look at this from the perspective of some of the other people standing in the room and what they might see here. Right. Because I think to some people in this room, without the full context of the family history, it just looks like Amy's asking about her family. I miss you guys. I wish I could see you guys. I wish I could come check on you. I wish I could finish making mom all better. And it's disgusting and gross because we know Amy and we know what she did. And it's especially out of place in this moment of like near interdimensional war that is about to happen. But if you're inclined to like Amy or see her as a hero, as we know many of the wardens do, especially some of the lower level wardens, isn't it just a humanizing moment? A moment of her being genuinely worried about her family? Yeah, yeah, I, I I think that's a really interesting thing going on here because correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there a lot of people in this room? Yes, yes. And Victoria is basically tunnel visioned into the capes in the room, like like she she's not really thinking about anyone else. 
Mm-hmm. And like, um, so that means we stop thinking about them too, to a degree. But yeah. of course, because you and I are rereading these chapters like three times and then taking notes, we can't help but think about the fact that, yeah, the, the, the average person in this room doesn't know all the detail. Like you've said, they just kind of see Amy as this person who's made great strides t- toward protecting the people of Gimmel. And now she just wants to be with her family. And Victoria is seeming really unreasonable. Like, like if you, if you don't know the context, right. And it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fascinating place to put her in. And of course, in the next chapter, we're going to directly confront this idea, but yeah, it's happening even now. Sure. Sure. And, 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 and like the counter to that would be, it was like, well, yeah, but she's got a giant monster that's walking through their city. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That is happening. But I think from the perspective of someone who sees Amy as kind of like a version of a superhero that is, saving millions of people like if superman suddenly appeared and was like okay there's this giant night guy he's mine i know we're just like walking through the city but trust me there's these bad guys over here and my dude can take care of them like you'd be like well wait a minute that doesn't make much sense superman like what 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 do you mean (laughs) (laughs) like i don't think you would immediately go oh superman's evil you'd just be like hold on dude what what that right. doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Talk me through this. There's also the element that again, if, if you're if you're in this room, you don't know the details and you're you're kind of biased toward towards Amy, then you could view this as like she's um she's being basically uh pushed to do this by the Sheen people, but right. she doesn't want to do this. Right. And and I think I want to zoom into that near the end of this chapter because I think that is one very interesting thing in which and I don't know if Amy's doing it intentionally or not, but the ways in which she plays herself in this mediary role between the government of Sheen mm-hmm. and the government of Gimmel and her action specifically is really interesting, I think. Totally. Yeah. All right. So, um, so there is something I wanted to talk about here because I I just like, we, we've given Carol a lot of grief throughout the story. Um, but I think I want to give her credit for moments in which I think she's very clever and very good. Like the moments where you see her as like, this is why she was good at law. Right. And and this is one of those moments because she's basically asked to speak with Mark and try to get some connection. And the way she speaks with Mark is very specific because they're just small talking and and mark asks are you packed up and moved for the evacuation and carol's response is our things are packed i'm staying at our niece's apartment we're packing we saw my sister this morning and it's very we our it's trying to bring him back into the fold it's trying to emphasize subtly the the familial connection between them and she does this throughout the chapter there's there's a moment at the end that i really love when she does it but it's just this this clever like trying to emphasize like you are family we are family like let's try to do something here yeah yeah i'm glad you pulled that out because that totally does have that that effect i mean the the Mm -hmm. language makes you feel like she's reaching out to him almost like she's you know um inviting him like like come back to us yeah right that's, that's beautiful I yeah like, like i mean how dare i mean the sentence i'm staying at our niece's apartment you could just say i'm staying with crystal yeah. but our niece puts the puts some of that on him he's crystal is your niece too yeah and you are part of this family still like 
stop it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's great. Everything is we, we, our, our. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, I mean, she Carol's trying hard here, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't. For all the faults we can usually find in Carol, I don't think there's any particular faults that I can find in these chapters yeah, specifically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just want to back uh, step back and comment on how just fucking infuriating Amy's style of argumentation is overall. Like it, it's it almost just boils down to an endless series of no you, mm-hmm. Amy, you did some bad stuff. Well, you let the world in. Like it's just <laughs> it's just constantly and and you can see Narwhal just being like. What, what, how is that a response to what I just, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's whataboutism in the most classic sense of the word, right? Yeah. She's not refuting points, she's deflecting them. Also, Amy saying you let the world end is like fucking ridiculous. You didn't have any part to play in Gold Morning at all, did you, Amy? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, her, her point summarizes down to uh, I'm right because I'm Amy, so you should listen to me. Obviously, that's clear. I'm a good person. Ergo, you should listen to the good person. Yeah. Stop coming up with these annoying arguments that I'm having to find ways to mm-hmm. dodge around. Yeah. No, she's refuting them all. And they're not refuting <laughs> any of her points, Matt. None of them. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Darnall backs up Victoria's read that Amy is currently writing a high on the feeling of being needed. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that that recognition, right? That Victoria is like, man, she's kind of acting high. And I want to talk about when she writes it down, though, because I think this is a really great beat where she says my hand was shaking too much to clearly put pen to paper. I hadn't realized I was that affected. Fuck you, too, pen. Like on the surface, this is just a nice little comedy beat that also shows how hard this is for Victoria. Right. But it's also like Victoria is externalizing here. Right. And I don't want to read too much into this. It's just a silly little title beat. But it's not the pen's fault. (laughs) The pen's yeah. working fine. Yeah. No, I, I mean, it, 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 that's exactly the headspace she's in, right? Like, right. I, I don't think you're wrong to read into it because it's it's just a sign of a kind of anger motivated reasoning where you would lash out at a pen and mm-hmm. and she's going to do the equivalent of lash out at a pen a whole bunch next chapter. Yep. So, yep. so yeah, worth pointing out, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Victoria is aware of how bad it sounds to the people in the room without the context when she says that she thinks she can break Amy uh, and that she came close to doing so back on Sheen. Um, So let's just, you know, another beat for us to remember for later, I think. Yeah. And I think the most important part of this for me is, is the chapter gives us a little glimpse of how this must sound externally through crystal, right? Through the unquestionably great and flawless and definitely not bad crystal. Um, (laughs) Crystal, who knows what Amy did to Victoria. Crystal has more context than a lot of the people in this room. And yet she still says to say you'll break someone sounds horrifying, especially someone we once saw as family. So and that's not to say that it's not going to be necessary to break Amy. That might be exactly what we need to do before the book is done. Right. But to Crystal, a person with full context, this still sounds horrifying to her. Imagine what it sounds like to people that don't have that full context. Imagine what it sounds like to them. Yeah, right. I mean, it, I mean, just to say it out loud, it makes Victoria sound look pretty um, unhinged. Yeah, like she she's and and, and, and she's going to sound even worse in a minute. Right. And she's right too. That's the frustrating part. Is but yeah. but people do not have that context. Yeah, it's a kind of aggressive 
tack that if you were just watching and, and listening to Amy's tone here, you would be like, wow, that sounds really disproportionate. Like, I, I don't I don't know about that. And right. Again, it, that, that's the weird thing about like reading these chapters three times is like the first time you and I read them, we're like, yeah, sure. Uh, of, of course, of course, you should break her. She sucks. Yeah. But then after after we like forcibly get the perspective on it, we're, we're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't. That comes off a certain way, and 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 then we notice yeah. that there's this consistent thing being done in the background of this chapter, where a lot of stuff is being framed this way. Well, and I think one of the things that it makes very clear here is Amy is not speaking that aggressively. She's calm. Um, she's she's riding a high. It specifically says so. She's very happy and confident. Um, so in this negotiation, you have the calm, confident, patient-looking Amy versus the very upset visibly shaking um loses her cool talking about breaking her victoria and like victoria has every right to feel that way i don't want to make it seem like she's behaving inappropriately but it's just the the question is what does that look like to people around her and and the, the text points us towards this right i mean victoria multiple times throughout the story says something or does something and is like oh god there's all these people around and they're yeah. they're hearing me do this or they're seeing me do this. Um, so, I mean, the text is, is inviting you to to think about the thing from their perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. Get, get it, and, but it's also getting you in the head of this character who they know that they're right. You know that they're right. And experiencing how isolating and demoralizing it is to look around yourself and realize how many people are going to think that you're being unreasonable. Yeah. 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 That that's to me what is is powerful about this. I totally agree. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Yeah. So they decide that at this point, Narwhal mainly decides that, that Victoria will spearhead the conversation and attempt to manipulate Amy. <sighs> I knew this was coming, and I hate it. Yeah. I hate Victoria sometimes, Matt. N- not. I hate her because I love her, uh-huh. and I know she's going to take this damn bullet. I know she's going to do it. This this the plan is basically for Victoria to dangle herself in front of Amy and attempt to acquiesce to what she wants the most. Right. To manipulate her into a compromise. So basically the victim of sexual assault is being used as bait against their assaulter. And Victoria is freely doing this to herself because she finds it necessary. And I'm just like, why do you keep putting yourself through these things? Right. And so, I mean, of course she does. Of course, she's always going to do that. I'm not I'm not challenging her character at all. It's just I'm just like, oh, God. Yeah. Like I said earlier, this is a key core character trait of hers. Is yeah. This, this yeah. self-sacrificing heroism where it's self-sacrificing past the point where any reasonable friend, therapist, or bystander would be like, okay, you're not the person who should be making this sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Like, like, let Narwhal handle it. Maybe she won't do as good a job as you think you could do, but you can tap out. Like, like I, <laughs> yeah. I was talking about this earlier, and I, I was like, the, uh, the, the one piece of advice that people get in martial arts when they're starting is to tap early and often, <laughs> as in to, to, to tap out, to, to surrender, because... If you don't, you're just gonna get injured. Mm-hmm. And Victoria is the is the queen of just of just letting her not refusing to tap 
until her fucking arm has been dislocated. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, li- literally, she just keeps getting injured, right? The whole the whole book, she's been accruing these injuries. You could almost look back over every one of these injuries she's gotten and be like, refusal to tap, refusal mm-hmm. to tap, <laughs> refusal to tap. I mean, metaphorically in some senses. Yeah. Almost literally in some senses. Um, and, she, I, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, you said stop doing it to yourself. In a sense, she does do it to herself because... She puts herself into situations past the point of you you know this is going to damage you. Yeah. And I mean, there's a part of me that finds that admirable. Right. Because it's like, wow, look at like you look at that and that's like toughness and strength. Right. Is like the person who's going to fall on the grenade. She's always the person who's going to take the hit. Um, but eventually, like you, you have to go past this 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 idea of of unflinching heroism and toughness to like. You're destroying yourself right. like I mean, like mentally and physically. Yeah, I mean being the person who falls on the grenade is is, is admirable in a kind of high-minded sense, but like you you only get to fall on the grenade once. Mm-hmm. It's 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 something that you hope you never have to do. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ideal situation is that there is no grenade. Yeah. The, the, you know, or uh, you know, or as or as Tony Stark says, I'd, I think I'll cut the wire. <laughs> Were you going to go there too? Yeah, you beat me by one second. <laughs> Perfect. To volley the reference. Um, so Victoria then just kind of browbeats Amy into explaining how they built the Jibberim and why they sent him against the machine army specifically. And we get some great background on how and why the machine army is so insidious. Yeah, it, which is a lot of fun. Like I always kind of wondered, it's like, what exactly like it seems like it's just a lot of robots. You could probably just take all those robots down. But no, they're yeah. like multidimensional shifting impossible to kill robots. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Pretty pretty cool actually. Yeah. Um, it's a lot, it's really cool. Yeah. So what what I really like about this though is and, and this is as we we're really starting to ratchet up the tension here because Victoria is very very uncomfortable being put in this situation. Um she's basically in a sense giving Amy what she wants, cooperation, a civil conversation, kind of everything Amy was hoping to get back on Shin, Victoria is kind of giving her here, of course, through the phone instead of in person. Um, But Amy can't help but Amy it a little bit here. She doubts Victoria. She criticizes her. She's she's getting what she wants here, and she can't help but be herself in sometimes. It's like... um, and now you're going to tell me that I'm wrong. I don't get it. You think you know more than me after what? A day? Half a day? Hours? Amy, stop. You asked for my help. I'm giving it. I can't believe I'm doing it. But here we fucking are. So stop. Um, I, I just think it's very interesting. And then we also get the moment where she yells at Victoria about hanging out with Tattletail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because Amy's being, um, I guess, I guess I would say assertive. Like normally Amy is is sort of sullen. Like, like yeah. she, she always feels like aggrieved and like she's the victim of everything around her. Right. And and here we're seeing her where like the flip side of this high she's riding is this kind of self-righteousness where she's actually pretty eager to jump on Victoria for uh, perceived slights or, or underappreciation. And, and yeah, this moment where, where she jumps on Tattletail, uh, where she jumps on her about Tattletail is is perfectly in line with that where yeah. she, she yeah. almost goes on a, a short rant about Tattletail, which is not even really on topic. 
Yeah. It's also hilarious given the context of who Amy has surrounded herself with. Yeah. Um, I mean, so let me preface this with I love my parents very much, but there are moments when like my parents are like riding me for not hanging out with them enough and for not visiting enough. And then I go visit them. And like one of the things that happens is my parents whining at me about some of my life choices. And I'm like, this is why I don't hang out with you. And I feel like I feel like that's one of the things happening here. Right. It's like it's like. Amy has been wanting this conversation and wanting this cooperation the whole time. And then the second she gets it, the first thing she's going to do is attack Victoria for her life choices and attack Victoria for the people she's surrounding herself with and, and, and basically venting some of the stuff we heard her talk about in her interludes about how, what Victoria is doing and the decision she's making. And it's like, this is fucking why Amy, cause you can't just like, you can't just hang out or you can't just have a civil conversation or cooperate calmly. You have to interject all this other bullshit into it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've all been there with, with family. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I mean, mom and dad, if you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she feels this position of power and that's, and I think that's yeah, that's and I, I I I love that because I think power dynamics, the, the the shifting of power, is really important to these couple chapters. Yeah, and and how they change your behavior. Yeah, um, yeah. but I did want to point out Carol once again here because in that in that part I read before where she's yelling at her, saying, "Stop! You asked for my help." Um, there's this tense silence where Victoria says, hi, I pushed it with the fuck with the fucking. I could see it being too informal when this was technically a diplomatic meeting. And then Carol interjects with this moment of listen to your sister, which again, like we talked about before, is trying to specifically point out and draw the familial parallels. But it's also. I think a, a, an important moment, right? Like Carol, who is like doubting Victoria throughout the early part of the book and doubting Victoria's read on Amy and, and specifically rejecting and um, telling, like telling her she's wrong is now in a situation where she's listening to the whole thing. And the thing she says is listen to your sister, Amy, your listen to your sister. She is showing Amy, showing Victoria, showing everyone here that she is on Victoria's side in this. Yeah. And, and, you know, Carol's also being smart. She's leveraging this, idea that you're allowed to lean on these family connections yeah yeah in, in sheen you know again like she, like she used all this we us language she's using family language here mm-hmm. yeah. um yeah and, and of course is, is is a kind of tacit way of saying like we are all a family you are one of us you know we have not we have not abandoned or outcast you you don't need to feel that way you know you don't need to have your back up like this just just relax and, and listen to Listen to Victoria. Yeah, yeah. So Victoria tries so hard to remain civil, to keep an even tone, and we're aware of that being in her head, but Amy pushes her one too many times, and she finally loses it. She snarls at her, calls her a miserable, deluded little monster, uh, threatens her with imminent death if anybody speaks. And overall, not her best moment. Nope. Uh, and, I mean, we feel for her. It's... It's almost satisfying, actually, like in in the same sense that it's satisfying to to just like finally snap and just rage at the person who really deserves it. But it's just not a good showing, you know, for the people in this room, especially those lacking the context, as we've said repeatedly. Yeah, I agree. It feels cathartic in this moment. This 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 stuff has been building internally throughout the chapter. And finally, she gets to 
externalize it. Finally, she gets to call Amy out directly and say what she's been thinking and say how she's been feeling. And there's that definite moment of of relief and release. This tension has been released now. She said it. But you're right. What does this look like to everyone else? What does this look like to people who don't understand? Like, why specifically are you, is it going to push you, Victoria, that far to where you said, if you talk to anyone else but me, I'm going to leave this room, I'm going to fly up really high in the air, and I'm going to drop something on you, and you won't even see it coming. Yeah. I um, mean, yeah. Well, I mean, like, from a writing perspective, Wild Bill could have stopped short of having Victoria threaten her with death in front mm-hmm. of everyone, mm-hmm. but he didn't He didn't do that. Like that, and and that looks super bad. Like even even to the people in her, and, and and then you know a couple paragraphs later, points out Victoria points out to herself like, yep, I'd probably permanently damage my, my reputation with people in this room. Yep. Um, yep, as somebody who's going to fly off the handle and make death threats on in the middle of a of an international interplanetary negotiation uh, Skype call. Um, yeah, it's 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 horrible right like it's horrible that this has happened to her yeah and, oh yeah oh yeah and, and it sucks it does sucks. it absolutely sucks I, I i feel for her i love that she did it but it's also like oh no what'd you do yeah yeah um so it works though yeah it, do, it, do, it does work <laughs> it works and and that might be a slight silver lining that like somebody like narwhal acknowledges that the, that the strategy worked but yeah like she she gets through to her she persuades amy to send the mother of mothers instead of the Jibborim, uh, because there's less risk based on Victoria's understanding of powers, at least. Yeah, so, and and, yeah. and as you said at the beginning of the show, it does another very important thing because Amy needs to be out in the field to make sure that mother of mother children's children <laughs> are behaving properly. Uh, so what Victoria has managed to do here is put Amy on the chessboard. She's out there on the board and now it's even easier to fly above her and drop a rock on her yeah or something but on the flip side she has like a, a whole bunch of giant minions now so yeah that's yeah. true that's yeah. true yeah. uh one thing i want to note here is what we kind of talked about before is that whether this was intentional or not the agreement that amy comes to with victoria is specifically against what Luis and the government of Sheen wants to do, right? There's this moment here where it says specifically, I could hear the exchange of words. Luis was pissed. So to the people in this room, you have this this threat marching across Gimel and you have Sheen and Amy at the beginning of this conversation aligned regarding this plan. This is this is Amy's monsters under the direction of the government of this other dimensionary world. And they're aligned against it, against you. Or not technically against you, but in all intents and purposes, yes. But by the end of this conversation, Amy agrees to a compromise with Victoria and with Gimmel, and she does so specifically against the wishes of the Sheen government. So from the perspective of, let's say, someone who doesn't know near much about Amy as we do, what do we see here? We see Amy compromising, and we see Sheen and the government of Sheen as the main aggressors then. They wouldn't have made this deal. Amy made this deal. Amy agreed to this compromise. The hero Amy, the woman who negotiated the acceptance of refugees, made Sheen take the refugees in. The woman who is healing them of their illnesses and giving them these antibodies, which will allow them to live without illness. Um, The woman who took all the Gimmel villains when no one else would. She just stood up to the warmongering, cape-hating Sheen to reach a compromise that staved off war. 
Now, of course, we know better. <laughs> right. We know they got here because Victoria knows her sister and was smart enough to play to her disgusting wants and manipulate her to this compromise. We know that while Sheen certainly does want this war, Amy has her own goals and those goals are not in align alignment with Gimmel as a whole. We know this. Victoria knows this. Some of the people in this room, including, I think, Narwhal by now knows this. But what about everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So it's it's just basically setting up, right? Setting up for the next chapter. And and I I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I mean, I think this is not just being set up for the next chapter. My suspicion is this is being set up for. The coming chapters like 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 yeah we, yeah, we have right. this situation now where i mean, I mean we know, we know we strongly suspect that by the end of this you know this podcast we will know that victoria has been benched mm-hmm. i can't help but but anticipate that a big part of that was threatening to murder the lead negotiator and important power player of the other side of this conflict mm-hmm. like like you can't imagine putting her out in the field on the same field as Amy after what she just said. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and, and and like, and that's rational, right? Like if you're looking at this from a third person point of view and, and you don't really know what's going on, but one person is yelling and threatening to kill the other, you kind of want to put that person in a room over here and let them cool off. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's setting the, it's setting the stakes or setting the stage rather for, I think what's going to be coming in the next few chapters. I totally agree. I totally agree. So at this point, Victoria starts to unload um, her, her, you know, how horrible she's feeling uh, when Darnall and Jessica approach her. And just as she gets ahead of steam, Jessica puts on the brakes and says she can't be a support. So again, in this arc, we have connections being denied. Just and Victoria attempts to connect. Jessica is basically like, no, mm-hmm. not going to connect. Sorry, can't. And Victoria lashes out in the end, mentioning Bonesaw. Um, but before Jessica has a chance to respond, Kronos attacks the Jaborim. Oh, yeah. Yep. And yeah. I, I really like this. So, I mean, we see the way that Darnall and Jessica approach her is described as they intercept her like the dauntless Titan Titan and accompanying Seamurg seem to be intercepting the Chevalier. So she's drawing a connection between these two giant monsters, like in an, this inevitable conflict between her therapists walking up to her. And it, it, it makes it so it makes it very clear that from the start, this is going to be a confrontational conversation. Any way it goes down, it's going to be confrontational because she's framing it in a confrontational way. And I think it's very, very well done. I like that a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I like it. I, I love it. I mean, it, this is really heartbreaking the, the way this chapter ends because Victoria, uh, this is some great writing where it's just like this really long paragraph of Victoria just again, unloading how, how horrible this has been for her. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, it's like the feeling of like, you, you finally want to unburden yourself. And then the person who you feel like, like who, who you thought you were unburdening yourself to is like, no, I can't really talk right now. 
Yeah, she's she's desperately reaching out at this yeah. point to anyone. I mean, she is not comfortable with Darnall. She says specifically, I don't remember if it's this chapter or next chapter, but she says specifically, I don't like that guy. I yeah. respect him, but I don't like him. Yeah. Um, but she's reaching out even to him at this point. Anyone like th- these these people, please, please let me talk to you. Let me help me like and she's just not getting it. And yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's move on into 17.6 where oh, everything right. will just turn around and get better. It's going to be so much better. Yeah. Like crazy better. That's uh-huh. what sun, that's what happens at sundown. Things get better. <laughs> yep. So the chase continues with Dauntless blasting away at the Jiborim with his arc lance, the Simur riding forebodingly on his shooting uh, arm limb. <laughs> Uh, the, the chapter opens with a relatively long and awesome de- depiction of these titanic monsters, including the real Chevalier, fighting their way through the city. My boy. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Chevalier, like, I I don't know. I sometimes I'm good at visualizing things. Sometimes I'm not. This was for some reason the the, the descriptions of Chevalier like ninjaing his way through the city using his cannon blade kind of made something click for me, and I was like retroactively able to like re revisualize him fighting during you know the behemoth fight and the echidna fight and be like oh okay i I think i see what that's supposed to look like now yeah 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 (laughs) i don't know why exactly i mean i mean perhaps it's just wildbo's like just literally better at writing now and it seeing chevalier move around using wildbo circa 2019 allowed me to be like oh okay like that 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 description works for me perfectly and I get it. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think my favorite part of this was the Seamurg riding on his arm. And the, the text description here is really great because it's like the her hair is like billowing in the wind. And it's like this almost this like victory pose where she's just like it, it's really, really great. Yeah, I like it. I like it a whole bunch. Me too. Totally. So this chapter. It's the fucking Seamurg. Yeah, right. It's It's this terrifying, terrifying thing. And it's like. You can hear Flight of the Valkyries playing as, yeah, as she exactly. rides to her, you know, destiny. Exactly. So, so this chapter, as with the last, is punctuated with Victoria pressing her raw nail bed into her flesh, which is a kind of passive, distracting self-harm and, and something that she's been doing a whole bunch lately. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And we've talked about it before, but I love that you brought it up again because it's just it's just remarkable in its simplicity, this, this imagery. Like, it's just you establish a symbol once you establish a symbol and what it means to your character and then you can just call back to it again and again easily economically and you get across everything you need to like all you have to do is have a sentence like oh she she pushes her finger in again and feels the sharp pain and you're like oh okay we're we're right back into that mindset again yeah and she's doing it at specific times she's doing yes. it to punctuate moments of fuck this basically exactly I mean, but exactly yeah it's it's um i mean you could almost incorporate this into the same idea of, of all of these italicized kind of mental rebuttals to things. It's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of refusal. It's a kind of objection. Yeah. And one thing she's doing during all this is looking out on the conference room, on the war room and observing people. She says specifically to herself, pay attention to the beats that land, the moments of impact, the key elements in the flow of it all. And what she sees is tension, agitation, people writing things down, scenario leaning forward, 
taking over the comms. What little I could make out of her voice was more familiar, casual. It made me think more of talk. It made me think more of me talking to a member of Breakthrough than me talking to Natalie, which is specific Natalie erasure here, Victoria. <laughs> um, yeah. We've talked over and over again about how Natalie has earned her spot as a member of Breakthrough. Um, but in this specific instance, she makes her distinct from Breakthrough yeah. in that way. And I like... I low key think that's important because I think that's setting us up for this. The, the the main idea of this passage is Victoria's abandonment of humans as a, a consideration a and yeah. a connection. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean that I, I think, I think there's a lot to that and, and I may, we may have a chance to talk about this later, but, um, when she came out of Shardville, her main anchor, such maybe it go, maybe it's going too far to call it that, but it seems like one of her main anchors is, I want to save the people of this city. It was the only statement she could say and sound confident. And, okay, who are the people of this city? Well, mm -hmm. almost entirely normal humans. Yep. And I feel like the main thing that happens in this chapter in particular is this erosion of her sense of connection to normal humans. Yeah. Um, again, the, like you're, you're absolutely right. This mention of Natalie here is very pointed. Um, yeah, just, you know, somebody in the Discord is pointing out how many, how many times in the story where, where <laughs> Victoria has been like, and today was the day Natalie Matheson became a member of Breakthrough. And, and, and like she always <laughs> fucking forgets that. And it, it just goes back to just, oh, yeah, that's Natalie. Yeah, she's wearing an ugly coat again. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I mean, it's so intentional and it's so, it's so great, right? It's, it's yeah. A, yeah. And here it is again, really, really, really underlining this thing that's happening with her character. Yeah. It's, it's really a perfect way to prime her for everything else that's going to happen in this chapter. Yeah. I, I love it. I love it so much. Yeah. So yeah, Victoria has hung around this situation room long after her family and most of the other capes have left on her way out. Scenario points Victoria to get debriefed by Eric, who Victoria immediately dislikes. She very comprehensively looks him over and notes such tiny details as a smudge on the tip of his wingtip shoe. Uh, she get, then gets really mad when he does the same to her, despite him having just been ordered to look after her. Yeah. I, I think it is important to say, that he does take a look at her boobs for what she describes as half a second too long. Yeah. Um, and then gives her direct eye contact. Uh, Victoria does point out that her instincts are bad right now. Um, she, she compares this specifically to how Byron checked her out when they first met, but Byron had the decency to look away when caught. Um, this guy seemingly doesn't. Um, she uh, takes a, a dislike to this guy immediately and, that only is kind of reinforced in her mind as we go as we go through this. I mean, the the italic um, beat 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 reaction 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 thing is only doubles down throughout this chapter for sure. Yeah, I, I like the description of Eric a whole lot because I think it, it it's very interesting. She does give him a, 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 like a full up and down, and we know that because we see her describe his nose and his feet, and those are the two ends of your body. So it is literally. And a full up and down. But the way she describes him as this this perfectly dressed suit, right? He's wearing purple, which is purple, you know, it has a royal connotation, right? Yeah. Um, he he has the, the, the suit. She doesn't describe this. She describes him as good looking. Um, 
it's presumably his suit fits him perfectly. I, I see it as like a very well-tailored suit. He's got brown hair with like the, the, the blonde highlights. Um, the only blemish on him is a little scuff on his fancy shoe that she says is probably like kicking open a dirty door or something like that. And so he's prim. He's like proper. He's neat. And this, this is part of a narrative that's being built of this person who, uh, a suit. I mean, the, the idea of describing someone as a suit has derogatory negative connotation, right? Dehumanizing. Yeah. So yeah. Um, this, this is Eric. Yeah. Hello, Eric. Hello, Eric. Hello, Victoria's internal representation of Eric uh-huh. and, and who Victoria thinks Eric is based yeah. on based on very little evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So, Scott, let's be clear about this from the outset. I'm not really very interested in litigating whether or not Eric is or is not a sleazy dude. I mean, maybe he has 10 rescue dogs that he saved from bet. And he sends all of his earnings to his aged grandmother. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe he's exactly as odious as Victoria feels that he is in this moment. As usual, I'm more interested in the why of it, the purpose and function of this character, of this element in the text. And that's what we're going to focus on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We had a big, long discussion about this in the Doof Discord the other day. And I actually really enjoyed the conversation. It, it, it allowed me to really clarify and crystallize my feelings about this character and and here they are i'm gonna say him once and then we don't have to say him again i think eric's a bit of a prick um who i think starts this conversation enjoying being put in this position of power over a cape um he is an intern who probably has not gotten to do this very often and he has now been placed into this power position he's the one that gets to decide whether or not not really but in his mind he's the one who gets to decide whether Amy or Victoria is uh, ready for service or not. And he kind of relishes this power position a little bit. Um, But, but as we'll try to outline going forward, I think Victoria uses his general prickishness and her overall bias against humans and the shitty headspace she's in right now to assume the worst about everything. And that is the important part, I think. You're absolutely right. Not the literal, is this guy good or bad, but how Victoria reacts to it and how it leads her down a path of further isolation. Right. That is the important part. Yeah, and that's what we'll focus on. It, it is a bit fun to consider that like his smiles that she reads as being uh, douchey are actually like <laughs> out of nervousness. But, sure, sure. But like that, that's, that's kind of a background element that's fun to consider after you've read it. A bunch of times um mm-hmm. I, I think i think like like you've said more salient to talk about what is this saying about victoria and where she is at so yeah yeah so in this chapter um as as uh the last you know the, the last chapter and really most of the arc so far uh we continue with this beat comment beat comment structure and it becomes really pronounced here every Almost every utterance of Eric is colored by Victoria's immediate scathing internal criticism, sometimes italic, sometimes not italic. But if we just look at at, at, his, at this internal monologue, Victoria is in a shitty mood. I'm just going to quote, I'm just going to pull some things out. It sounded like none of your business. Not really. Talking about Amy is a really shitty start to any dialogue. So you're one of the people who took my spot at the university. <laughs> That's just a, that's just some of them. There's there's yeah. more. Um, yeah, like eventually she gets to this internal story about how she could easily just sneak outside and go murder Amy and probably get away with it, and and not even get too bad of consequences. Um, yeah. And then you know the the stuff that isn't italicized is pretty much just as bad. She'll say stuff like, 
definitely no fucking benefit of the doubt now. This wasn't the fucking venue or time. And then he says, I forget what he says exactly. Oh, yeah, he 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 says that he prides himself on being able to take others' perspectives. And then yeah. she says, okay, fuck this, fuck him. It's so venomous. It's so angry. I enjoy it a whole lot. Yeah. I, I really do enjoy it. Um, She's just she's just pissed. I mean, it's just like, fuck you, Pen. It's basically an extension yeah. of fuck you too, Pen. Precisely, yeah. And and it is fun to get swept up into her, her angry mindset and just kind of unloading. Not, I mean, she's not literally unloading on the guy because most of this is internalized and, and just yeah, silent yeah. fuming although she is kind of i mean she's rude to him she, she's she speaks to him in a way that she wouldn't speak to any of her teammates yeah um, but it's not she's not she's not swearing at him though so sure sure yeah so, but yeah overall there's this, you know, this driving anger this judgment and i think in a word uncharitability she goes so far as to think to herself that Eric and I think also his friend LaRue gets wrapped up in this too, although I'm not 100% sure, that they're just so blasé about the imminent end of the world because how could they get it? They're not parahumans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing here that that even the the creepy leering aside, she is making assumptions about how this man handles trauma, right? She assumes the smiles. She assumes the jokes show blase indifference she assumes that she doesn't see any of the the threats of the end of the world as real threats to him because he's talking about um how he has more time to go on dates with the school closed and i mean this could very much just be things that he's doing to avoid dealing with the fact that the world might end tomorrow right um but I mean, the, the one specific thing that he does is defend Amy. Right. Um, yeah. In a certain way, like he says, um, he says that I think she is someone that could be um, could be coming from the right place and making the wrong decisions, basically. Um, and that's a very extremely charitable read of Amy and not one that I think is correct. But I think the, the fact that the book goes out of its way to show us that Eric does not have all the context. He is not aware of the history of Victoria and Amy. He is not aware of the full extent of, of what Amy has done and is doing. Um, and like we, we noted in the last chapter, there is a view of what goes down in that situation that could be read to be extremely, uh, bad look, Victoria, good look, Amy. Yeah. And I think that, I think that's where he's coming from and he's wrong. He's wrong. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to defend his opinion, but I see where it's coming right. from. And and her her understanding. I mean, look what she calls it. She says that given context, what he says about Amy is more vulgar than if he whipped out his dick and slow wanked it in front of me while talking about his technique. Look. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean. And, and she even notes like given context. Right. Uh-huh. Context that we know he doesn't have. Right. So. Yeah. But but I mean, the effect here, again, to reemphasize, is that Victoria feels like this guy who, who is basically a stand in for humanity. Right. Um, doesn't understand is 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 speaking out of his ass and, and is just is just like this this th- kind of know it all doesn't actually know anything, though. And. Uh, basically shouldn't even be here. This guy shouldn't even be in this room. What the fuck does right. he know? Right. And th- that's her feeling, which, I mean, I don't think we're wrong in saying that that he's the stand-in for humanity, that this is meant to <laughs> erode her connection to humanity. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's textual. She says, is this what humanity is? Ah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think you're right. And I think the this is the most important part of this whole thing we're talking about to me, not the specifics of Eric. Fuck Eric and prick. I don't care about him. Um, she thinks, is this what humanity is? And then says to herself, no, no, no. There's other people. There's Presley. There's Jester. Um, there's these other people, Natalie. There's the other people in my life. Those are humanity and those are good too and then she then recalls what has become a a really important focal point in the story for us we've gone back to it several times you know that moment where vicky makes the argument to ashley that interactions with the humans with people like presley matter she argues that this matters and swansong listens to her and i think you could make a case that part of swansong's transformation part of her ascension was because she took this advice to heart in a certain in a certain way Mm -hmm. But now here in arc 17, what does Victoria think when she thinks about those connections, about those people? She thinks, except floundering, I wanted to reach out for them because I needed them. I found them wanting. I found them lacking. That's it. That's what's happening here now. That What's happening here now is that th- that thing which she thought was so important is now no longer sufficient. Doesn't. Yeah. It, it is not giving her what she wanted from it anymore. And I think that, I think that those connections were part of a whole and they served a very important purpose when she had a lot of other things to, to rely on, mm-hmm. but they can't be the only thing she has left. And I think that right now she feels like that's almost the only thing she has left. Yeah. And, and uh, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. So yeah. Or I guess you could even phrase it as like, she set her. She tried to set her weight down on on the one thing that she thought was remaining, and realized that it couldn't hold up her weight. And this, and so she's just free falling, basically. Yep. Um, yeah. So, and you know, to reiterate what I said a minute ago, um, I want to say the people of this city. Well, these are the people of the city. They're lacking. They're wanting. They're not worth saving. Maybe. And yeah, she doesn't go that far, but you can see. You can see the 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 line to that right there's a dotted line to that thought and it seems like she's moving towards getting there yeah yeah and and if that's the one if that's her anchor i mean that's that's real bad real bad yep yep so the subsequent interaction with larue is that how you say that larue sure uh, Sure. creates some interesting contrasts to the interaction with eric eric comes across much better than than eric did and you know he starts out by thanking her giving her credit for getting through the difficult interaction with her sister. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm still struggling to say what, what is the, what is the textual purpose of contrasting LaRue with Eric exactly? Um, I mean, it is it interesting, right? And, I mean, if you look how they're described, they are almost polar opposites, yeah. right? Eric is wearing this this tailored, nice suit, wingtip shoes, the light purple shirt. LaRue on the other, Eric is said to be good looking. LaRue, on the other hand, is described as square face, red cheeks, balding. Um, his suit jacket doesn't fit him. Um, and th- like, so I think things traditionally that Victoria would go like, ew. <laughs> right. Um but Eric holds a position of power over Victoria, right? He is analyzing her. He is uh, assessing her. LaRue is not. 
And LaRue is immediately almost reverential to her. The first thing he says to her is, thank you. Thank you for what you do, which is a kind thing to do. I don't want to take that away from him. That's a nice thing to say. You see someone's having a tough time and and you thank them. Um, but it is interesting to look at the the humans that Victoria ends up liking versus the humans that Victoria ends up hating. And the humans that Victoria ends up liking tend to be the humans that are reverential to the power of capes yeah right yeah i i think i don't think that's unfair i mean she's positively predisposed toward guy who is immediately deferent to her and yeah. kind of implicitly gives her power over him and you know literally literally is like i'll get you some coffee like like that's that's almost a symbol for subservience right sure like yeah. like i'm gonna go i'm gonna go for a coffee i want some coffee victoria wants yeah. some coffee my treat right it's um yeah that uh, that is that is the rightful place <laughs> and, and and not this is not textual right i don't want to say like she's actually thinking this but it almost seems like that is the rightful place of humanity right <laughs> running to get me a coffee thanking me for my service um it, it, and and bringing me a drink i mean i feel like in the mood she's in like like a good like a normal victoria no uh, this victoria yeah maybe <laughs> sure like yeah. i feel like that's the, the headspace she's in right now um, and interestingly, it's it's after this interaction with LaRue, much more positive interaction, that she goes on this mental tangent where she like seriously considers that she could sneak out, murder Amy, and probably only get, you know, a slap on the wrist for it. Yeah, I mean, that's it's so interesting, right? Yeah. Because this is not I can't do this because it would be a bad thing to do. It would be the wrong thing to do. I don't want to do this. It's wrong and unhealthy. In the very last chapter, when talking about justification versus justice, Victoria said, I want to kill her. I want to torture her. But the right thing to do is to lock her up, get her help. Yeah. One chapter later, it seems like the only thing she's concerned about at that point is if she did that, she'd get in trouble for it. Yeah. Um, so far as to say, like to, to muse on what would happen, uh, I'd probably get some consideration for mental stress. I mean, my therapist would probably testify on my behalf, which I don't know if, if he would Victoria. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it is very interesting that like nowhere in this, in this scenario that she played on her head is no, I can't do that. It's wrong. Um, which, I mean, look, sometimes, like, everyone, I think, has had moments in their head where they've, like, said, yeah, it sure be nice to, to do this thing that I definitely can't do because that's absolutely unacceptable. But it is interesting to kind of see the change from that isn't that would not be justice sure. to yeah. I'd get in trouble. Well, there have been a lot of lines crossed. I mean, it wasn't until fairly recently that she actually was able to think to herself, I hate Amy. Yeah. And then to get to a point where she just started to allow herself to like sort of think these fleeting fleeting thoughts of like man i'd sure feel better if she was just dead like it would be really great if she just died i would feel relieved like it was a yeah. big thing i remember her admitting to herself that it would, be, it, it would be a relief if she was dead now she's fantasizing like this isn't a this isn't idle this is i mean let's i could fly out there right now same portal I used to get to the fight with Damsel and Deathchester would put me close. I could go to her, and I could erase her from cons consideration. Very pragmatic. The details are there. 
It, yeah, it's like yeah. she's like she's she's gotten the only thing that's missing is picking out the murder weapon. <laughs> it's uh it's chilling actually, right? Like like yeah, as much as Amy deserves it, it's chilling. Yeah, and I think I think I'm glad I, I felt the need to hedge myself a little bit here. I don't know why, but I think that as much as Amy deserves it is an important <laughs> point. I don't think either of us are saying that that this is bad, right? We're not I don't think I'm making a moral judgment on whether or not Amy deserves to live or not anymore. My point is it's a shift in Victoria's attitude. I, I mean, I'm still I mean, I'm being a bit ridiculous. Like I still don't believe in the death penalty. I, I, yeah, I still I believe mean, that Amy try. should be locked up and and like there's no point in torturing people like that's not a there's I, I'm while I have backed a bit away from being a utilitarian in the classical sense. I still don't think there's any point in torturing someone for having done something bad. Um, but but yeah, uh, something something needs to happen to Amy. Yeah, right? she needs to be taken out of the ability to do harm. Yes, exactly. That's the most important thing. Exactly. And if and if the if the the only way to do that is to kill her, that's a bummer. Yeah. Um, but it might be necessary. Yes. I don't I don't think that's the value judgment we're making right. here. It's just that Victoria has moved to, I could do this, yeah. and the only reason I won't is because I get in trouble. Right. Premeditation for something she hasn't quite worked <laughs> herself up to. Yeah. 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 Um. So after Larue walks away, Victoria, um bats slash knocks slash brushes slash swats eric's hand aside with her force field mm-hmm. so now she's used her power t- to intimidate a person and her mental attitude about this is that he had it coming and i think there's a few things to talk about here in this moment one of them is that she's mega proud to have had that much control over her force field so here's the thing about that she didn't have control she didn't mean to do that that was not control that was waste reaching through the veil and doing something unbidden and at this point, it's like the line between the two of them is disappearing. Yeah, and, and I, I like I like that. I, I think I think it's interesting how she frames it, though. I, I am inclined to agree with you that she didn't not she didn't necessarily have control in the moment, but how she frames it is I'd meant to do that and I hadn't. So I both meant to do that. I both meant to block it with my, with the wretch. I both meant to meant my force field in that moment and I hadn't, which is like. I kind of had control, but if you only kind of have control, it means you don't have control, yeah. right? I mean, it's it's a like a, a miles of difference between swatting away a rude person's hand with your hand and yeah. breaking the explicit prohibition against using your power and doing it with your dangerous murder force field, yeah. which maims people accidentally all the time. I mean, sh- she reinforces in the text that it was gentle. Right. So there is a level of control here. She does not hurt him. Yeah. Um, I hate to make the parallel, but like Amy was just talking about like I'm in control and here Victoria is getting this uh, a high off of the idea that she has this control, which is really not control. Yeah. And I, I think I think we need to say like. Eric reached out from her like from the court like perspective like the corner of her eye reached out and tried to grab her to get her attention right and that is not a good thing to do uh especially to people who like victoria are very um shaky and like she's not in a good place right now so someone like reaching out of her periphery and trying to grab her is a specific trigger but i do think that it's important that the book 
make sure to define that Eric is an intern who has only been doing this job for a month. He has not been around capes very often, and maybe he shouldn't be here. Maybe he shouldn't have been given this responsibility. I think that's fair to say, but he didn't know. And and I, like, I understand why she did it. I totally get it. But she broke the rules. She used her power. Um, she basic Eric had power in the situation, right? Eric, by assessing her, had the power over her. And she kind of in this moment, evened the scales by by terrifying him. I mean, I, I would view it as he he is now scared of her uh, after this point. He He has like detected. Finally, it kind of maybe you could phrase it as it's finally gotten through his thick skull that yeah, she is. Yeah she's in a volatile place right now i mean mm-hmm. it's as if um i mean i think personally it's a bit of a faux pas to to touch someone who you don't know that yeah, well absolutely um absolutely. so like if i if i were to like it's it's on the same order as if like you 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 commit the faux pas of reaching out to like touch someone to get their attention and they slap your hand away now they have done something that crossed a line in response to you doing a, a more minor faux pas. So now it's just a fucked up situation. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and, well, and I, yeah, I wonder if Eric knows about Carol, like uh-huh. I, he seems to, he seems to have very little limited knowledge about all the players here. Yeah. I wonder if he knows what Victoria accidentally did to Carol. <laughs> I mean, that's got to make him terrified. Yeah. He probably doesn't, but that, I mean, that it, generally that's going to be a terrifying thing because you're just standing there and then an invisible force moves your hand away. Yeah. And it's just like, what? Whoa. Yeah. Uh, right. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't I don't think like I, I don't want to say like she's wrong for uh, stopping someone from doing some doing a, a, an a, a office place faux pas. Like, but the, the way she did it did break specific rules she was ordered to do. And as you said, she does not have control. She does not have complete control. She's she's proud that she didn't snap his hand off with the wretch in that moment, which good. I'm glad. <laughs> right. But the idea that she didn't mean 100 percent to do that is is not control. Yeah. And, and I think the Victoria of a few arcs ago um just wouldn't have felt good about having done that anyway yeah like it it wouldn't it wouldn't be a um a victory it wouldn't be a win it would be a yeah. oh man i i overreacted to that mm-hmm. so victoria then proceeds to give some pretty good assessments of the state of breakthrough uh although at this point i'm forced to wonder if her reads aren't wrong in interesting ways uh because of how much i feel this arc is putting us in a position of Victoria's instincts are off and her interpretations of things are off and her self-trust isn't there. Um, you know, that said, I still think that her reads on Amy and on family and on breakthrough are probably supposed to be reliable. But yeah. the thing is, I don't know. The book has injected a lot of uncertainty into things. And I feel like at this moment we are at peak unreliable narrator. I think we are and we aren't. Um, I think there are very specific things we can absolutely 100 percent trust Victoria's point of view on. Um, and there are other things that I'm not sure we can. I think capes generally, uh, her team specifically, Amy specifically, are things that I think the book has showed us time and time again. I am most confident in her read on, even even in these moments. So um, I do agree that that this book hasn't delved in unreliable narrator very often, and this seems to be a place where it's inviting us to question some of the stuff. But I do think those truisms remain i think her assessment of breakthrough her assessment of her family and of amy remain 
very accurate. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And capes as a whole. I think I think the unreliable narrator starts when we start talking about those pesky people without powers. Yeah. Right. I mean, I just I guess I'm just referring to this idea back all the way in the shard world where um, I, I started to suspect that maybe the 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 interpretations of the tattletale crystal visions were kind of off base. And now I'm like, maybe, maybe, maybe more things are off base in subtle, interesting ways. Uh, I, I, so, so the, I mean, I don't think I'm entirely wrong. And, and, and you were the one who actually noticed this thing that we're going to talk about in about 60 seconds. Um, sure. but, but I, because, because of the, because of the fact that she's really pretty, blind to her own current state yeah yeah i i think i think <laughs> i think you're like breakthrough amy yeah her family spot on yeah uh, uh assessing victoria not so, yeah, not so great. zero out of ten yeah <laughs> so so as she goes through the team i mean the first thing i thought was funny is that uh she's asked about capricorn and in her answer she basically just talks about tristan i guess there's a couple there's like a, a line in there you could take as being kind of about byron but She's asked about Capricorn. It's everything is about Tristan. She's yeah. kind of erasing Byron from existence with this answer, yeah. which, um, yeah, you go ahead and, and, and start and, and elaborate on, on your thing. Cause I want to talk about, um, I want to talk about that in context of, of, of your observation. Okay, sure. Um, one of the things, the end of this conversation is she's asked to give strengths and concerns or weaknesses. Um, and at the end of it all, she says, uh, by the way, he uh, Eric asks her to assess herself, admitting that she it's going to be not objective. Um, and she says she says how she's feeling. And then she says all the strengths that I just listed for um, my teams. I think those are my strengths, too. That's what she says. And I like this. I think I think she's right. I think it's accurate. I think it's in line with what, what's been true for the entire book, that the members of Breakthrough are reflective of Victoria in a lot of specific ways. But if it's true on the strength side, it's true on the weaknesses side as well. And when you look through her, what she notes as the weaknesses of her team, you do start to draw a line, right? Um, for Capricorn, she says specifically no weaknesses are concerns, but in her description of Tristan, she mentions that he is very aggressive at times. For Sveta, she says uh, she holds a grudge and she's new to her body. Uh, for Rain, she says he doesn't believe in himself for very much. For Kenzie, she says uh, the biggest concern would be a mental breakdown. Um, and she says that's not very likely. She'd have to feel like she has nobody. I don't think she's anywhere near that yet. Uh, but Victoria is Victoria is very near that. She is systematically being yanked away from or cutting ties with the, the people that she has around her. So all of these things, all of these bits, all of these weaknesses, very, very much tie into Victoria's weaknesses as well. Um, and I find that really fascinating because she, she specifically notes the strengths yeah. And leaves the weaknesses off the table. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, so I guess the, the idea that she that she sort of uh, erases Byron from consideration is like she she doesn't she maybe she maybe Byron's strengths are not strengths that she shares. Byron's weaknesses yeah. are not weaknesses that she shares. And so she he's kind of invisible to her in this moment. I'm not I sure. I like that. I like that. Um, yeah. There's also just kind of the fact that Tristan is like the big loud guy that. Yeah. 
Yeah. The 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 issue of the Tristan Byron yeah. relationship has always been that he he's the one that naturally draws more attention right. to himself just by his personality. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I, so so I adore I adore that. I, I love that she accidentally gets a good read on herself, but is not aware of <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. I mean, it really it really linked up to me when I first saw the Sveta one, the idea of she holds a grudge and is new to her body. I mean, just aligns perfectly because yeah. Victoria is relatively new to this body. Um, definitely Victoria is known to hold grudges for sure. Uh, yeah. Yep. 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 I love it. So after this, she leaves the situation room and Jessica joins her to explain the situation with Bonesaw. Jessica explains that she became suspicious that Riley had kidnapped one of the survivors who had disappeared, and then she misread Riley's reaction to her suspicion. The situation escalated to violence, though the violence can be read mostly as Riley defending herself against Jessica in an overly aggressive way. Yeah, and this is one of those really tragic stories, right? Because we learn that basically what happened was exactly what Amy predicted or made a self-fulfilling prophecy by saying it to Jessica, uh, Jessica, once all this happened, was put in charge of making sure everything goes well. Um, she was second in command and responsible for keeping up the mental health of a group of people stranded in the middle of nowhere, struggling to survive. Basically, she was put in charge of the Lord of the Flies situation, except some of those flies are super powerful, super villains. And it's crazy. And eventually she just snaps. It's too much, too much on her. And she just snaps um, and attacks Riley. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting because I, I still feel like the, the, the idea that we should be suspicious of those visions from, from the Tattletale Shard has been somewhat supported by this because yes, that, that did happen, but Victoria did draw the wrong conclusion. Bonesaw is not dead. In, mm-hmm. in, in fact, this, you know, kind of, the 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 kind of instant reaction you get from from what Victoria saw was like Jessica freaking losing it and trying to murder her and it was more like it was more like maybe Jessica like grabbed her arm and then Bonesaw grabbed her back and then her muscles went crazy and then it escalated in kind of a unfortunate sad natural way into strangulation yeah, yeah. um not just like Victoria, you know, Jessica snapping and going ape shit. So I just to, to call back to that thing where we're kind of we're still tracing both the veracity and the drawn implications from those from those crystal visions. I think yeah. that this goes in the column of veracity. Yes. Implication drawn. No. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. And it's I mean, it's sad because like this is to Jessica. This is uh, a complete failure. She was put in charge of of ensuring the mental health of these people and she failed them. And one of the results is Riley says, I'm not going back. Yeah. Uh, like the, the idea that Jessica thought this um, and, and, and there is there is evidence here that like Bonesaw might be going through some regression as well. Like every it's probably a, a high stakes very intense stressful situation for everyone because she says riley had kind of reverted to some of her childish tendencies her bone sawiness um and that's part of what made made uh jessica start to suspect her that she's backsliding a little bit um but the end result is riley just being like i'm done i give up i'm not gonna like i'm leaving society i'm gonna stay here on my own because 
you you lacked the faith in me and that devastates me um and it's that's tragic i feel so bad about everyone involved here it sucks yeah because i mean on, on the one hand like come on jessica give yourself like a break this is bone saw the fact right. that you <laughs> the fact that you made the progress you did is amazing and and then on bone saw's side i mean it's it is kind of insane that we've built up all this empathy with bone saw <laughs> Right, but right. we do feel bad for her too, right? Like she, at this point, she feels like the only real option for her is self-imposed exile. Yeah, yeah, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, hey, so speaking of, uh, this is exactly what Amy predicted. During this conversation, we learn that it was Amy's message slash very clear threat to Jessica that it at the very least contributed to Jessica bringing aboard guest speakers and other things to her therapy groups, aka. The reason why Victoria is even a member of Breakthrough uh-huh. is because of what Amy said to Jessica. Um, and this is interesting, and I want to explore this a little bit, because one of the comments we got last week on last week's episode was from someone uh, called Lone Wolf 8424 who pointed out to us that uh, if Amy and Amy's violation of Victoria back on Shin is the thing that opened the door to Victoria's increased control of her power, that that theory that you and I discussed in detail last week, um, then the story would basically be giving credit to Amy for Victoria's progress and how that feels wrong and bad. And it's a great comment. I I, I totally agree um, that that would feel a little icky if like if this if what what is happening to Victoria ends up being the key to her recovery and that door was opened via a second violation by Amy, that would feel icky. I agree with that. It's a great comment. But that comment with that comment in mind, I read this part and that made me think of this because this is almost one of the inciting incidents of the entire book, right? This is this is what gets Victoria down this path, meeting this group of people. And now that is at least a little bit tainted by Amy's influence. Totally. And I think that plays into Victoria's feelings of isolation because now breakthrough, the, she's already separate from them. And now her, her interaction with them, her, her, the team aspect, the friendship, everything that's happened with all these people is tainted because she knows it's, partially because of what amy did yep amy amy pushed this towards this and that is further isolating for her even more so than she already was now they're tainted too and it's just it's awful it's awful yeah and you know in context of that comment that you referred to if all that she ends up with remaining is her contact with her shard and then she realizes that even that is amy tainted um, then she just has nothing. Yeah. And, and that, and that's horrible. And that's horrible in exactly the kind of way that, um, <laughs> you want out of a good story. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like your, I like your little pre laugh there as you realized you were just going to say something entirely true, but totally heartless. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it, it's, well, it's just fun when you switch between the mode of like, remembering that this is a story and forgetting it's a story and being right there with the characters. So, yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, so yeah, I mean this conversation in the end, Victoria has this little shred of hope, this little shred of a possible connection. Cause she asks if Jessica triggered and then Jessica says no. And Victoria's reaction is, and hopes were dashed. Jessica was out of reach. Yeah. And this is, 
this is why the Eric part is in the story. This is the natural culmination of, of the moment where Victoria basically says, I found humans wanting um, is this moment where maybe there's hope. Maybe there's someone I can still reach out to. Maybe there's someone I can still lean on to support me. If only Jessica was a cape, she would understand. She would know. And, and I would have a connection. But nope, she's just a human. And therefore she's out of reach. Um, and the use of reach there is, is important, right? Because the, that mantra, reach out, that's such an important part of Victoria's character. And so to say out of reach is very specifically calling back to that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's that's stark. It's a stark way of phrasing that. Like, like Jessica would have been in reach if she were like me in this specific way that I've decided is very, very important. Mm-hmm. But she's not. Mm-hmm. So... She's nothing to me, almost. Yeah, like yeah, there's her, no, her, nothing more to say. Her continue inability to think that anyone that does not have a power is able to understand or empathize with anything she's going through has been an element of the story from the very beginning, and this is the culmination of it. This is the the if not for your humanity, we could we could have connection. Yeah. Yeah, it's sad. It is. Then we get to the last scene of this chapter where Victoria seeks out Annalise for some mm-hmm. sexual healing. And Scott, I really <laughs> wanted to be happy about this. Like, this is obviously a sex positive show. Hell yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would call this event negative or a bad choice, but it is at best a hollow comfort, an ineffective distraction. At worst, it's something that she's going to regret that will make her ultimately feel even more alone. And even as Victoria and Annalise start to get it on here, Victoria is still thinking about all the stuff that she's trying not to think about. Yeah. And all that stuff has a lot to do with her being benched, isolated further. And there's far more text in their macking session about regrets, mantras, identity, and isolation than there is about the hot dude she's undressing. And we know that Wild Bill can write raw sexual energy. This scene is sexual energy that's being like smothered by a thick blanket of terrible sadness and loneliness. Yeah. I I really feel like if this was supposed to be a moment of triumph of yay, she's finally got past her shit enough to do it. Um, it would have played in a very different way than it does. Yeah. Because I, I totally agree with you. It's almost dissociative, right? There are, there are two Victorias existing in this moment. The animalistic Victoria that is enjoying the most basic animal driven wants desires physical sensations and then there's this other victoria floating above it all that's thinking about the text message that benched her thinking about everything that's going on with her that is is focusing on all this stuff i I love like this 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 line here is just perfect i thought without thinking about anything my brain a febrile 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 i think febrile buzz um, I love that word. Um, I love that sentence. I thought without thinking about anything, it is perfect to describe this mood. It It is uh, sad. It's just sad. And yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't think this is a bad decision. I just don't think it's going to do anything. I think it's going to be cold comfort. Um, and I think she's going to wake up the next morning and regret it. And also still just feel as isolated as before, possibly even more so Um, because like the idea that, okay, well, at least I'll have this. At least I'll have just, you know, basic physical connection still. 
oh, well, that didn't that didn't fix anything. So right. I don't even have that anymore. And this is one more thing. Um, yeah. yeah, I agree 100 percent. Yep. It's it's uh, I mean, it's like we, we wanted her to get to this point and it's it's just kind of nothing. It's just kind yeah. of. Oh, I, I mean, since the since we since the the shower um imagination like the 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 whole narrative she built to the shower sex like i've wanted this to happen but this is not the way i wanted it to happen at all right yeah 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 i don't have much much to add really yeah i mean it's as the chapter wraps up you feel like you know she, she even says to herself um that she might have regrets but that regret was for tomorrow and it's like yeah well Okay, then. Well, yeah, I mean, she repeats her mantra, right? Follow the law. When that fails, do what feels right. When that fails, reach out. And above all else, above all those other three things, the core bit of her character above all else is avoid doing what I might regret tomorrow. And then specifically, she says, well, that regret is for tomorrow. It's like, but no, you just said. Yeah, that's your whole thing. No. uh, (laughs) Well, and, and, and it's great because like follow the law. The law has benched you. So it's failed you do what feels right. I can't trust what feels right at all right now. Uh, when that fails, reach out. I have no one to reach out to above all else. Avoid doing what I might regret tomorrow. That's out the window as well. Yeah. So just knock down all those. What's left. Yeah. What is left. I and that is, that is the mo that is what we leave the scene with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's horrible. It's sad. Mm-hmm. It is. I'm, I'm very worried. Sad. I'm worried. I am so worried for Victoria and and what she's going to do when when all else is stripped away except for waste. What happens? Yep. I guess we'll see. I guess yeah. that's what sundown is about. Yep. So that wraps up the chapters this week. The discussion question from last week was: Could you be reconstructed from all available data about you? A lot of really cool answers this week. Um, so let's just get into it. Bisexual punch party says no. Going by historical records, internet posts, photos, and such, you could create a caricature of bisexual punch party. But, quote, whenever people tell me what they think I'm like, I disagree with it. So there's a disconnect between how I interact with the world and my concept of self. And then, then they go on to say a Kenzie-style 40 snapshot might enable you to make a P-zombie of them but it would still lack the inner life. And then they say, I think the hardest part about recreating someone is what we see in the flock. You, you can't 100% capture someone's relationship to themselves, which is the most important relationship in your life. I really love that line. That's fucking fantastic line. Yeah, that is beautiful. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sir Periplin says, if people can't be restructed from... Restruct, reconstructed, I can't read anymore, from the data collected by extra-dimensional space wheels, then parahumans aren't themselves. What do you think happens when a regenerator gets a concussion? Where does Shadow Soccer's brain go when she is in mist form? How did Alexandria think at all? I think Scapegoat got a glimpse of that truth when he got his power, and that's why he went a bit insane. That's an interesting angle that, like, because of just the nature of how powers work, literally every parahuman is a reconstruction in some way yeah that that was a really fun idea for me um i'm gonna that sent me down a rabbit hole yeah that's me too exactly (laughs) exactly um helpful hindrance mentions that season two episode one of black mirror is basically addressing this question no spoilers of course but yeah i've seen that episode it's great yeah yeah i i agree that is it's great 
I didn't know you seen that episode. I thought you didn't watch all Black Mirror. I've watched like three episodes of Black Mirror, and that's one of them. Which just so happens to be it, one yeah, of them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mother Cloud says no, not with currently available da- data for prob for probably oh yes what, what? sorry um <laughs> this is my Matt, this what is, is my your writing. English this here is my, this is uh <laughs> oh Jesus Christ Matt what the hell is wrong with you I don't understand I'm sorry Mother Cloud uh, basically um, they say um it would require like full molecular scanning technology to capture everything about you like your sense of taste. Um, but no, it wouldn't be possible with currently available data, like, um, like what's available right now. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Fluid horror also says no, they believe in a soul, uh, although they are agnostic as to what that soul is. Um, so basically they just say there's more to a person than the sum of their parts. And then they say, mm-hmm. um, take all my memories and dump them in a different person. And it's a different person with all the same memories as me, but it's not me. Not unless you have some way of also scanning slash transferring my consciousness, so to speak. Yeah, that that idea of a soul is really, I think, at the the core of this question, right? Is there some uh, some part of you that, like 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 Fluid Horror said, is 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 more than just the sum of everything that is you? Yeah. Is there some? And yeah, it doesn't have to be a religious connotation. I mean, some people will take it that way, but the idea of a soul does not necessarily have to be spiritual or religious. It's just is there something beyond you? What like that gets that gets this idea of what is consciousness? What is uh, existence? Right? Yeah. Um, and 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 I like that because I. I tend to agree with fluid horror. I, I do think there's something there's something, I don't know. There's something there. There's something right. different. I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to, yeah. how to, but it just seems like it is essentially true. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big like materialist reductionist, but, um, the, the fact that there is a feeling of what it is like to be me, um, is, weird mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah unexplained it is unexplained yeah. and uh and that is one thing that crops up in these conversations is this, this idea that like well okay what is that and and and, and how does that factor in so, yeah yeah cool uh, july 83 says that if you created them from data you would have another them the same person in the category sense but it would not be the same them in quotes not the same unique individual basically they break apart the concept of being a person in two senses damsel is an ashley but she's swan song not damsel regarding machine uploads the critical question concerns continuity of consciousness which is a good point yeah right that, that's kind of referring back to what we were saying before mm-hmm. uh transcendent one says they are uh sorry they are all the data about them that they say there's no definition of me that makes more sense yeah, that's interesting. I, I bet I, I think another way of wording this question would literally just be, do you believe in a, the soul? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that is kind of like the the the, the amorphous concept of a soul, because um, that's kind of like if you believe that you are literally just the sum of all your parts, then a complete uh, collection of those parts would be you. If you don't, it wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. true. Yeah, there's definitely a very small number of themes that repeat themselves in these answers, which makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things someone pointed out to us was that this answer is scarily close to our Ashley versus damsel thing, which true, true, (laughs) true. But don't blame me that the book is thematically coherent. Yes. (laughs) Blame wild bow for thematic coherence. Yeah. 
Uh, Stelhek says yes, as long as the data contains metadata about how the data is organized. In the language of the story, shards are probably ignoring a lot of necessary metadata and how they're storing human copies. I like framing it that way because it goes back to my data analytics stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like that. Yeah, and it makes sense in context of, of like the flock and what Victoria said. It's all in there. It's just out of order. Sure, yeah. Kyrgyzstan says uh, they leave too little social media presence and then lets us know their age and lets us know their, that their online identity is skewed, uh, which uh, is now information that we can take into account when reconstructing them. So, <laughs> Well, thanks, Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, that, that was a mistake, Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, you're, you're going to be a Kyrgyzstan 2.0 pretty soon. Yep. Uh, Death of the Artist asks if by data we mean just internet data or all data including others' memories and poses some other interesting questions about what might constitute data. They also ask if you refers to the pragmatic societal you, something outwardly recognizable as you, or the you that actually feels like you to you. There's a pretty long com- This is a pretty long comment that explores a lot of ideas, and I do recommend reading it. Yeah, Death of the Artist, I think, has historically, when they've answered questions of us, done a really good job of, you know, kind of taking the question and breaking it into its fundamental parts and then questioning the definition of these terms that I think a lot of us take for ex- for, for granted. Like in the, the idea of when I had a question like, well, if you had all the data about you, would you be you? I didn't stop to think about what any of those words actually mean specifically. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's just like the broad understood example, but I like that you can actually sit down and break this apart and talk about what these words mean because they do have multiple distinct meanings as death. The artist sure. has pointed out. Yeah. It's a style of thinking that I like. I really did like that comment a lot. Extas mm-hmm. Niveau muses on whether thoughts are data and points out specifically how different sources of data would generate different skewed impressions, akin to our conversation about how our podcast selves are skewed in different ways. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for, for, for sure, right? Like that was, I, I think, a big kind of, you know, uh, not a deficiency, but, but something about our question that was, that was left to be filled in was, well, what do you mean by data? Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, if you, if you have like a passive thought recorder, then that's going to do you a lot more good than like, social media data um, it is yeah. interesting how many people jump to the assumption of social media data and now i don't remember if we actually said that on the show or not so i don't i don't think we did but i think it really like our question specifically related to our online presence because we talked about that for a while so i think it's natural to kind of sure. make that that leap um yeah i mean there uh, to to like give a window into our process a little bit. We sometimes intentionally design these questions as broadly as possible as like a, a like a, let's see what the people think about this one and, and where their brain, like wh- I think an interesting thing about a discussion question is kind of analyzing what your brain immediately goes to, right? Like the people that immediately took it as social media data or online presence is an interesting, I mean, it's interesting to, to see that, well, that's what people assumed versus people like death of the artist that immediately said, Oh, well, what do you mean by that word? Right. Um, I think that's it. And that's kind of, I think by design a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Googleplex bite says that the person, or did I skip something? I did. I skipped a, did I skip a whole bunch? I think you're I did. Up here. Yeah. Uh, Coinich asks an interesting question, which is if I were to pop out a clone chamber or transporter with all of the data that constitutes me, then what basis do I even have to judge if I've been rebuilt or assembled correctly? I like that. Yeah, right. I, I, they, they had a few other interesting thoughts in there, too, but I thought that was fun. Like in contrast to Kid Win, who is aware of not being original Kid yeah. Win, 
Um, it's interesting to consider like you under what circumstances would you recognize that you were not the same as you had been before? Um, that's kind of a, right. almost like a prompt for a horror short story or something. Yeah, I mean, there's so many fun like cloning stories that that really dive into this idea, right? They're yeah. like, they're like, you're the clone. It's like, well, I don't. I don't what are you talking yeah. about? I don't feel like that. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, like, it's yeah, multiplicity. Yeah, the best. Exactly. Best movie ever. I love that movie. Me too. Uh, Ruben three hundred seven says yes, no, maybe I don't know. Uh, technically, no information is ever lost, so in theory, you could create a perfect reconstruction. But more realistically, at best, you could build a convincing simulacra. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's that's one of another elements of the question, right? Is like, is it possible to create an, a, 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 like theoretically possible or literally possible? Right. Yeah. I think it, that's I, I think that's interesting, too, because I've heard this assertion made before that no information is lost and you can always reconstruct a person's mind from like the photons that go out into space and then bounce back from the stellar dust. And I'm like. Uh, my whole job is solving inverse problems, and I'm pretty sure that would be a lot harder than you're imagining, um, even <laughs> with really good computers. It's it's a matter of non-uniqueness. It's a matter of the fact that you would have like an infinite number of possible valid solutions to that problem, sure. so you wouldn't know which one was the correct one, and then you haven't actually done yourself any favors. So I don't know. I'm open to being corrected on that, though. Interesting. Google Plexbyte says that the person gleaned from their online data might be a better person than their real self. I like that. I mean, I, I think it, I think that is uh, generally true that a lot of times when you're interacting socially, you put forward a best the best version of yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, so a, a construct of that would be that version of yourself. Like, I mean, like I, I generally agree that when we're doing this podcast, we are very we are very much aware that we're speaking publicly and we try to put the absolute best version of ourselves forward. You don't want to expose the shitty parts of yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, the, the, I, I felt their comment was very introspective and, and kind of yeah. honest yeah. And, and I appreciated that I a think, lot. I think, yeah, we, uh, we all have to like examine ourselves in that kind of way. Yeah. Try to, totally. try to be the version of your person that you put out there. Yeah. Yeah. Be the person you dog your dog thinks you are. <laughs> A underscore fellow redditor asks uh, if Coyle should be punished for the wrongs committed in his simulated timelines, since the people in those t- simulations are basically reconstructions of those people. They further say they could be reconstructed from their neural architecture, but not from external data about them. Um, what you- I actually think that's probably true. Yeah. What do you think about that first question, though? The Coyle thing. Um, I have no idea because the thing is, we don't actually know whether or not his shard was like simulating a whole universe or if it was just sort of like giving him a movie of what, of its like best guess of what it thought would like, like we don't like, was it really scanning and running full neural modules of every person in that world? Or were those people basically pee zombies? I mean, I think that's the interesting question is how powerful do we think the shards are? Yeah. <laughs> and how powerful do we think Coil's shard was? Because w- one of those answers, yes, that's horrifying and, and horrible. The other answer, no, that's not so bad. Yeah. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, I read this response and this question he posed and I was like, 
fuck. <laughs> Good question. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't like, I, I think, I think I'll, I'll, I'll escape to, uh, def- hiding by definitions where it's like, well, what do you mean by punished? <laughs> like, <laughs> should they not be able to do that anymore? Yeah, probably. I yeah. guess. Well, Coil in one timeline should be put in prison and, and the other one should be free. There you go. Sure. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. <laughs> Antichrist says, nope, nope, nope. You can give me a world-class chef, me and a world-class chef. Antichrist is not saying they are a world-class chef. You can give me and a world-class chef identical ingredients, but the meals would wind up preparing. We would be radically different, and there isn't a person in the world who would prefer whatever mess I serve up. The process is as important as the ingredients. I like that framing a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, getting to this idea that you can collect all the data you want about me, but if you file it wrong when you're building the simulacra, it's not going to be me. Yep. So I think that's accurate. Hero of Old Iron talks about the different identities and facets that they possess as a person and how you could probably build an approximation of them by gathering data on all those different facets. They also remark that if they had a hand in the process, they would definitely work to bring forth the facets of themselves that they want to be, uh, kind of like Victoria does, mm-hmm. and, and kind of make this point of like, man, if, if you could have a, a hand on the wheel during the process, why not take advantage of that opportunity? Why, why, why remake yourself exactly as you are when you could um, tune up yourself and, and, and you know, make yourself better? I thought that was an interesting take on it. Yeah. Hey, does the Shard world have... Um a memory of me when I was running 30 miles a week. Cause I want to, I want that one. It does. <laughs> I want that it one. Does. Let's put that one forward. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everything that you've ever done is still there, Scott. Want, let's do that. I want to jump off a cliff into that facet. <laughs> let's, let's do it, man. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. This week's discussion question. Talk to us about your favorite example of a character in fiction looking bad within the story, despite you and the character knowing that their actions are justified. Yeah, so this is recalling to Victoria's um, not great performance, even though she was totally on the right. Yeah, Um, I kind of wanted to call this reverse dramatic irony, but I don't know if that term makes sense. I I really just think it's dramatic irony. Well, the dramatic... See... You do know something that other characters in the story don't know, but you. But I feel like the distinguishing thing about this particular thing we're talking about right here is that you actually do share knowledge with one particular character, and it's that shared knowledge um, juxtaposed with the dramatic irony um, regarding the other characters that, that, that actually kind of makes this work. It's a complicated thing. I'm interested. Like the thing was, I know I can think of examples. Um, it's it's a very interesting thing when books pull it off or or movies or whatever. Um, so I just love to hear some more examples. Of course, as usual, we said you know anything in fiction. So there's a good chance that we're not gonna like read massive spoilers for things. But yeah, I hope you know. not. I, I like these. Show me an example in fiction of this yeah. stuff because I, I I always find it very interesting what people pull from and. What it, what it makes, what the question makes people think of. But yeah, it is always rough with spoilers where we're just like, oh, can't read that one, but good job. Um, yeah, so right. we'll see. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. Uh, that's all we got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading. You can reach out to us via email at gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at scottdaily85 and Matt's is at dramatic irony more than a male. Um, that's right, Scott. And if you like any of our shows and you want to support them, consider donating to our Patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia. You can donate a dollar a month or whatever else you can afford. Supporting us on Patreon gives you tons of great bonuses like voting in the fan art contest and the costume contest, which is has about a week left to go. Uh, hangout sessions with the Doof crew. There was one of those this last weekend. It was so um, much fun, Matt. You missed, yeah, I, I you was, missed a good time. Sorry to miss it, and I haven't even had a chance to cut to, to, to watch it yet. But um, if you were to become a Doof patron, then you could go check it out retroactively, actually. Yep. Uh, and, of course, access to live streams of our recording sessions like this one and the Discord chat where we have uh, four-hour conversations about Eric. Also, cheese. We had a and whole cheese. fucking big Discord fight about cheese. <laughs> I missed this somehow. You're lucky. <laughs> it's all Matias's fault. Okay, great. I'll, I'll go catch up on that too. <laughs> um, and as always, make sure you head over to patreon.com slash wildbow and donate to Wildbow as well because this is his world. We're just playing in it. And this week, special thanks to new patrons Bidoof, Rob S., and Doof Dancers, Twilight's View, Morgan G., and Charlie R. Thank you so much, guys. Uh, I... I say it every week and I mean it every week. It is, it, it is incredible that you guys allow us to do this thing and we've grown to the level we're at and getting to do more shows and new stuff. And f- like I'm, I'm buying, I'm finally buying Elisa a better microphone because the mic she's been using for the past year is like a cheap, terrible mic that I used to use. And now she's going to have a nice fancy one, which will hopefully make it so she doesn't blow up the mic constantly. <laughs> Please. Oh, fingers crossed. Oh. That'll, that'll be nice. Um, <laughs> speaking of, of other doof shows, uh, Media MD is talking about Neil Breen's Twisted Pair. Oh, my God. Neil Breen. Um, they're up to 12.6 of uh, Pact. And the Do the Right Thing words this week are spooky Halloween pumpkin candy. Oh, my God. It's a weird, it's a weird coincidence. I couldn't remember those words on the... Uh, uh, what you say episode and i uh-huh. got it right <laughs> look at me really? i'm so That's proud funny. of myself um yeah also we have our book club coming up this friday uh the 20 what's friday the 25th at 9 30 p.m central time we're going to be talking about middle game uh i'm very excited for that so if you've read middle game before or if you haven't still time and then you can hang out with us friday night and talk about this book yeah that's it that's all the shows I mean, there's yep. technically more shows, but that's all the shows we're going to talk about this week. All right. Uh, and of course, if you can't afford to donate to any of these excellent shows right now, that is absolutely OK. You can still help us out. You can share the podcast. You can retweet it on any of our socials when we do that. Um, and you can leave us ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher. If any of your platforms let you do reviews, you can leave them there, too. It really does help, guys. The, those reviews make us look legit and we need to look legit. It's very important to be legit, too legit to quit podcasting. That's what they say. Yep. That's all we got for you on the show this week. Next week, the sun continues to go down as we head into the mother of all conflicts. I forgot to change that again. That's last, mother that's of all last conflicts. week's. Next, next week, Victoria sits on a bench. The end. The <laughs> end.